Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And this program gives you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We're here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m., and Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. And I hope that you will join us for any or all nine. Each one of them is going to be a different conversation, including this one, a different conversation that you'll be able to listen to live uh, via streaming at richarddugan.com. Podcasts are available at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, and many other locations too numerous to mention here i don't have the air and the lungs to go through them all right now we're also on youtube where you can watch these conversations and we certainly hope you'll subscribe and uh, also um, click notification so that when a new conversation is posted you will be notified and uh, that way you'll be able to uh, uh, learn more and have more choices uh, and knowledge of said choices we also ask that if you can support the work we're doing financially, we would be gratefully appreciative. We have a PayPal account and it is there for your security as well as ours. And um, we uh, basically encourage you to put in my email address, Richard at richarddugan.com when they ask for it, to whom you're sending that uh, wonderful support. We also ask that you take time during this, the decade of perfect vision, to um, basically uh, listen to that still, small voice in that quiet, peaceful, calm place. We hope that you will do that. With all of that being said, we now introduce our very special guest and good friend of mine as well. His name is Chuck Champlin. He has written a number of books, um, one of them called Wand. But today's focus is going to be on, it's an interesting title, folks, and, and I'm fascinated by this, Think like a molecule, seeking inspiration in the structures of thought. Chuck, it's great to have you here on the program and to uh, to be with you again. It's been a long time since we've had a chat, let alone an interview. Mr. Richard, it is an honor to be with you and very, uh, very good to see your handsome face and your wonderful cowboy hat you're wearing. It looks like a, a great heirloom. But I remember fondly, fondly our hikes together and spending time together in, in Santa Barbara. And I'm now in Northern California, but delighted to be on this uh, spaceless, timeless medium of the Internet and Zooming with you today. Well, I'll tell you what, it's it has been a long time and you're actually up in an area that I'm familiar with only because I've been there. But it's been a while since I've been there and it's a beautiful part of California. And we're really, uh, uh, we really miss being up there. And I know that you have traveled to a couple of the places that we, we uh, um, actually stayed in um, a place called Nevada city, which is South of Yuba city, by the way, the Yuba river, when we were there, uh, it was, um, it was flowing nicely. As a matter of fact, now come to think of it, I believe it was uh, maybe 2016 or 17, because I remember that the following uh, week after we had gone home, that was a raging torrent. I that mean, does happen. yeah, it was almost, I think it nearly washed out that bridge 
uh, on the highway going up towards uh, Ananda Village and, uh, of course, Yuba City. So uh, love that part of the country, love uh, that area. Still haven't gotten yet to the Redwoods, and I know that uh, my wife wants to get me up there to see the Redwoods, and I think that we're getting closer to having that opportunity. But um, while we're up there, we'll certainly spend some time with you. Wanted to talk today, of course, about your one of your books called To Think Like a Molecule. And um, basically, folks, just to give you a quick synopsis, it's to be aware of the physical foundation in matter that has given rise to our thoughts. And from there, it's Onward into the realm of pure imagination and the twinkling stars of our infinite potential. First of all, where did the title come from? Because if I if I'm looking at that, I'm if I'm looking at that description, it's like, what does that have to do with molecules? <laughs> well, I'm just fascinated by the world of science, and my mother was a PhD had a doctorate in the history of science and so got me thinking about uh, science. And so I actually reference her in the beginning of the book, talking about a time when she was stirred a whole bunch of sugar into a uh, into a, a saucepan of water and it looked like the sugar disappeared. And then she boiled all the water away and there was the sugars left on the bottom of the pan. So that was, I was about six or seven years old. And so she was inf influencing me early in my life so I mentioned that at the beginning of the book because that was sort of an inspiration. But the shape of molecules that we know now from what the scientists do creates such an enormous array of uh, little balls connected together, you know, like the way two uh, hydrogen molecules circle away around an oxygen molecule that just the structure of all of that inspired, say, Buckminster Fuller, a famous architect to create his geodesic domes. Mm -hmm. So to me, the various uh, structural ideas that come from the imaginary, we, you know, nobody's ever really seen a molecule. So the imaginary world of molecules is can really populate and inspire our own imaginary worlds of thinking, which is one of the most powerful forces on Earth when you think about it. Well, you know, what is fascinating to me is the representation as science has shown us. When I was in school, we we had the little, um, I don't even know what you call them, but they were models, um, mobiles maybe along those lines. But these were ones that sat on the table. And in in many instances, and I think there are even models where you can, uh, that you can get <clears throat> where you have different colored balls and little sticks to connect each one of these balls and create what would be, let's just say, two hydrogen, uh, uh, two hydrogen uh, atoms and an oxygen. And you connect those two together or those three, I should say, with these little sticks. And that's the representation of uh, what we call water. Exactly and, right. And then there are other more complex uh, elements that uh, could uh, take uh, hundreds of of those little balls and different colors and connect them with sticks. But the representation that I found interesting was on the subatomic level in a molecule. Certainly, you have the um, the electron, the neutron, and the proton, right? You've got Quite those sure. things. Yeah, you got those things. I remember a little from science class. <laughs> but what is fascinating to me is when you take a look at the microscopic world, even down to the subatomic, 
And then, my friend, you take a look at the macroscopic world, the universe, and all of those balls spinning and whirling, and then they're spinning what is it? Uh, we're we're in a solar system that has ostensibly nine planets spinning around a star, but then there are other solar systems that are within the galaxy we call the Milky Way that we're a part of, and that galaxy is spinning. And then, of course, what was it? They've they've taken photographs with the Hubble and other uh, uh, interstellar telescopes of right. the universe. And I think they've even said that there are trillions of galaxies. Right. And so as above, so below, that phrase keeps coming back to me. Uh Uh And there's one element that I want to touch upon real quickly here before we really dive into the work of think like a molecule, to think like a molecule. And that is the concept of duality or judgment and you can you can because to me ju- duality is a form of judgment we pass judgment on this level where we are i refer to this as the midcrow there's the macro the micro and the midcrow we we live in the midcrow area doesn't sound <laughs> doesn't sound real cool but there's judgment beyond belief but when you look at the macro and the micro worlds there's no judgment they're just those elements, if you want to call them, if you you know the subatomic particles, and then the uh, the the macro worlds uh, uh, particles, they're just doing their thing. They're moving around and they're bouncing into each other and exploding and all of those things. But there's no judgment. We as human beings place judgment on those elements if we choose to. But then we take a look at the micro world or the world we live in, this reality. We we come to this place where, you know, we have, for some reason, we have to pass judgment on the events that happen in our lives, the circumstances, maybe even in some instances, take, make it more personal, the size and the shape of our bodies, the various aspects of our, our physical existence. Uh, maybe even we, we, we judge our thoughts. Oh, I shouldn't be thinking that and so on and so forth. We judge our feelings. I shouldn't be feeling that. And the list goes on and on. And I've come to the realization myself, Chuck, and that is there is no duality in this world, in this middle space in which we live, only the duality that we choose to accept. The sun rises and the sun sets. It's a cycle. It just happens. We hope it continues for some time to come, but it it that's just what happens and so when i have events in my life that happen uh i had uh my father passed away this year this past year oh, 2023 i lost my sister in 2022 i lost my dear friend of 53 years in 2023 that's part of forgive me for using the phrase it's overused that's part of the cycle of life Right, As right, we right. know it here on this planet, it's neither good nor bad. It's that you remember the Chinese proverb, I guess it is, or story about the farmer and his son and neighbor. And the neighbor comes over and asks the uh, farmer, so um, how are things going? And he will tell them him a brief story about what's going on. 
Oh, that's good. And the farmer says, well, who's to say whether it's good or bad? And he comes back the next day in the same scenario. Oh, that's bad. And the farmer responds once again, who's to say whether that's good or bad? And each succeeding story and each succeeding day is uh, built upon the events from the previous day. For example, uh, the son, uh, his son is out, um, uh, you know, so to speak, breaking horses, trying to train them so that they can ride them. And he falls off and breaks his leg. Neighbor says, oh, that's bad. Next day, uh, they're coming from the government to conscript people to go to war. Well, of course, the son can't go because he has a broken leg. Oh, that's good. Uh, and then the horses escape and run off. Oh, that's bad. And the list goes on of these events. Well, again, it goes back to who's to say whether it's good or bad. So I'd like your perspective. Uh, again, I, again, I know we're speaking on a molecular level here to think like a molecule, the title of the book uh, by Chuck Champlin. Uh, but what, what's your perspective in that? How, what have you discovered in your 70 plus years of existence? Well, I'm interested in, in your choice of the word duality. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, pairings. of, and, and I think the most notable pairing in my world is the idea of, of a woman and a man are at the center of, of procreation and a population growth and survival of our species. And that's not just our species. Almost all animals, almost all animals uh, have male and female uh, which uh, uh, leads to the uh, generation of more of the species. And so as I, I'm happily married to my wife, Leslie, now for 15 years, and uh, the fact of that partnership is so interesting that life on our planet has brought to us that sense of duality, of partnership, of uh, co-genesis of the next and the continuation of the spirit of the, of, and of the species, I find that to be very meaningful. That just, was that accidental? That came out of evolution, uh, out of the Big Bang. Somehow that, you know, some people would say that God created that intentionally, perhaps. That's what the Bible suggests, but somehow or other, nature has just created that as a, uh, as a process for, for people to continue, for humanity to continue. And what's very interesting to me in this time period is that we now found such a forgiveness, if you will, such an openness to the idea of same-sex marriage and so on. Some people will claim, oh my goodness, that is against the order of the universe. And I can understand that argument. I don't buy into it because love is still the great winner on our planet. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I think that the idea of that 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 particular duality of the harmony of the species uh, joining together to create new and a continuation of the species. And that is just so deeply embedded into our molecular levels, the sperm and the ovum, you know, mm. those are the cellular level, but that still comes from that physical world uh, that has created the physical world that is our bodies now. So I find that to be very profound. I couldn't agree with you more. And also, each one of us uh, is a miracle when, uh, as science has helped us to better understand uh, the pairing, if you will, of the sperm and the ovum. Uh, and that is this, that um, under, we'll call them normal circumstances, uh, there are usually millions, 
of sperm that are vying for entry into that egg. Correct. And only one gets there. <laughs> only one needs to get there, but true. Which it's a random selection that creates the new human. Exactly. And the point that my point being uh, that out of the millions of sperm that had a chance, okay, that took the opportunity, <laughs> only one enters. Right. And that has made me, that has made you as a unique individual. It's made every human being that's ever existed a unique individual. It seems as though, um, Chuck, that, uh, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, from your observation, I should say, um, uh, it seems as though we're only, I know there have been philosophers over the centuries who have spoken of this in some form, but it seems like we're only now starting to realize that, yes, we are unique. We are miracles of creation, if you will, however you want to define that. Um, and yet at the same time, we all got here in the same fashion through uh, a sperm entering the egg and so forth and the dividing and the dividing and the dividing and so forth. And that's what also makes us similar. I mean, yes, we're unique, but we're also the same at the same time, which is a that's rather right. interesting right. dichotomy. We're all part of the same process, if you mm -hmm. will. Of course, then science starts challenging our assumptions. Well, perhaps we can loan an individual so we could have another one of me that would be exactly my same chemical my same dna structure and another yeah. one of you another one of any one of us but a lot of people and a lot of scientists are very concerned about doing that are we going to create you know marching armies of, of exact clones that can be programmed or whatever it's a terrifying science fiction story you know so yeah but uh, so, I mean, as we continue to figure out the science and the action at molecular levels and so on, we just get smarter and smarter and smarter. And at some point, some people would say, well, we're going to simply outsmart ourselves right out of the universe. I mean, the development of the atomic bomb and the movie Oppenheimer was so profoundly, uh, you know, instructive and profoundly alarming about the possibilities of what our scientists are able to achieve. It's a miracle. It's glorious. It's terrifying, you know, and it's, uh, if that's the conundrum, that's part of the duality of our civilization, as you yeah. use that word, that we have good, bad, you know, life, death, you know, the possibilities are, are complex, but I, I just, I'm an optimist. I've been a member of optimist clubs for a very long time. And I just hope and have that optimistic hope and belief that our brains, which are really one of the most powerful forces that we know of in the universe, because we can create atomic bombs and we can move oceans and, and so on and so on, that uh, I'm, my optimistic mind is that we are going to be smart enough to be able to use our good intentions, our hopeful, loving intentions to thwart the negative destructive forces that seem to be rising up to challenge our existence all the time. Yeah. I'm thinking Israel and Gaza and all of those kind of miserable conflicts around the world. Absolutely. One of the things that I like to do on this program is define terms. And uh, you have a definition in here. A molecule might be defined as the smallest particle of a substance that retains all the properties of the substance 
and is composed of one or more atoms. Uh, it comes from the French. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Molecule, uh, do a French accent, right? Or from the New Latin, uh, which is the um, uh, diminutive of mass in Latin. And the first known use, of course, was in 1794. That's according to uh, an online dictionary. And there are lots of synonyms. Um, in the beginning for example, was the word, and and this is from the Old Testament, uh, Genesis, uh, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and so on and so forth. And of course, it was then spoken, which means that it had to have been a thought first. So when we start thinking about to think like a molecule, uh, where do we where do we start with that? Is 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 that concept of in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And then it was spoken. Um, is, 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 is that a, a place where we can start or is there a, a more uh, current place where we want to start with this, this concept? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting that you uh, bring up the concept of God and, and because in a way, if you assume that God said, God said, let there be light, and then suddenly there was light, and presumably all of the materials that could make up atoms or molecules or whatever. And I spent a fair amount of time thinking about that, because if you stand on um, a, a clear night and look out into the stars and see the moon cycling around us and see a comet go by or whatever, there is a vast universe out there where did it come from? Is it possible that some gigantic intelligence said, let there be light, let there be matter, let there be potential in our universe? To, and let's, I always assume that God is sort of curious. He says, I'm going to throw this stuff out there. And then he sits back on his giant armchair and says, now let's see what happens. You mm -hmm. know, so that I think that's what I like about that idea is that's probably free will, free will. Mm -hmm. Then comes from God sitting back and saying, okay, I've given you potential. Let's see what you're going to do with it. And so human beings, you know, create fabulous automobiles and beautiful houses to live in and create new babies and, and create beautiful places to live and also create all sorts of potential destruction. So that's, you kind of assume it just looks like there is free will. There is danger in that and that humanity has still got the potential to destroy itself is that something that god is looking back and saying yeah well that i guess i said that could happen so i guess i'm going to have to live with it you know but meantime is there pure thought like that in the universe is god the potential of thought or is thought only something that can happen because of matter like our brains is there, you know, people, you're a very spiritual person, Richard, I know that, and I would bet you would say that there is pure thought in the universe, but I'm still, I mean, all the people in the Bible that said, well, then God told me to go across here and to go fight and smite these people or whatever, I don't know in the Bible that I believe that a real God spoke to those people. I tend to think that humanity, only 5,000, 6,000, thousand years ago were having thoughts in their head and a lot of those people said well, that must be god telling me to do that 
Well, mm. I have seen a lot of people saying that God talked to them, but I have never seen God do anything direct that I know of, except for creating the universe, apparently. So, yeah. I, you know, I don't know what to make out of it all, but I'm. those are my outlines of my thoughts, is that thought seems to be only in our heads, and uh, the potential of what we may do, that is all around us. Well, I, the, the other aspect of it, too, for me is I, I find it uh, a little incomprehensible to think uh, that um, that God is schizophrenic from the Old <laughs> Testament to the New Testament. I mean, right. either his character is what it is, if, if we want to refer to it in that respect, or it isn't. And then there are other aspects as well that I, I think about. I've, I have pondered these as well. Uh, in terms of the whole aspect of uh, a judgment standing before you know, the Almighty and and uh, sort of um, like like a, a PhD student defending their dissertation, right. I'm standing there defending my life, kind of like uh, that movie with uh, Albert Brooks and uh, and Meryl Streep. Great movie, by the way. What's uh, it where, called? Yeah, uh, I believe it's called Defending Your Life. Oh, okay. I have to look that up. Yeah, uh, it's it's just a fun movie because he is out of his mind scared <laughs> that he's being judged during the review process. And she is having the time of her life. She can eat whatever she wants and not gain a pound, which, of course, <laughs> is probably most women's dreams. Um, uh, and uh, and he's just not getting it They They keep telling him, look, this is not this isn't judgment. We're just reviewing. We just want to review what, you know, what your life was all about. Uh, but the thing that, that I have often said this, and again, I say this, again, this is me, my perspective, my observations, and that is this. If, in fact, there is a, a judgment, uh, let's just say, <clears throat> and I have to stand before the Almighty to justify my existence and all of this stuff. Well... God is, uh, based upon, uh, if you want to use uh, the ancient wisdom teachings we refer to as the Bible, God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, knew all of this stuff was going to happen before it was ever created. That is the, that is the uh, general consensus, if you will, of those attributes. So I would be standing before God, and I'd say, first of all, uh, point one of two. You created me. Uh, you knew that all of this was going to happen. So, and I, there's nothing I can say. You're going to do with me what you will. So I, I got nothing to add. However, point two is because you knew all of this was going to happen, you set all of this in motion. This is all on you. This <laughs> is not on me. This is all on you because you're the one who wrote this novel, okay? You're the one who wrote this story, not me. I'm just a character that you placed here. Now, I will stand and say, I take full responsibility for my life. And I think that's one of the things that we're missing in this world today is that people, regardless of status uh, and, and position and what have you, many of them refuse to take 100% personal responsibility for who they are, where they are, how they are, and why they are in those first three elements. Um, how does that play into, because 
I, I, and I bring this up as the example uh, in modern times in the 21st century. In the 80s, I went through personal growth programs in the 80s because that's where we were was we were in victimhood. It's my parents' fault that I'm the way that I am. <laughs> then, we went, <laughs> then we went into codependency. All right. Then we finally emerged from that into interdependency. We began to take responsibility. We began to understand, oh, it's my choices, regardless of, uh, you know, what my parents may have taught me. I still made the ultimate choice. I'm the final arbiter of the choices. But then in 2015, specifically in a presidential campaign, somehow, some way we went right back into victimhood. And I basically said, I'm not going to play this game. I'm just, I, I refuse to play that game again. It's, it isn't productive. And I will tell you that uh, there was only a period of time in the late seventies after I graduated from high school, Chuck, where I blamed the state of Arizona for labeling me legally blind. It's just, this is them. This is on them because I didn't choose this. They did, you know, and I finally got to the point where I'm thinking, you know what? That's not real productive. You know, <laughs> I need to I need to start thinking differently. Uh, so are there steps? I know I was just looking through the table of contents and so forth, but are there steps that one can take that you have discovered, uh, especially through the writing of this book, where we can begin the process, if we choose to, to think like a molecule? Uh, and if that's the case, I guess the question is, how does a molecule think? I mean, d d d are you assuming that it has a brain and or uh, consciousness and or free will and so forth? Because I've often thought that if if we use the concept of democracy in the context of our cellular structure and each cell says, I'm going to do my own thing the body would cease to exist, among other things. Well, I, I want to point out that I say in the, uh, page one of the book that uh, there's not been much debate as to whether molecules can think. Despite their energy and complex structures, molecules most likely do not time take the time to ponder their place in the world. Uh, so that is uh, an important point. Molecules don't think. It's the complex, it's the complex of molecules that formed our bodies and our brains and created consciousness long after the beginning of molecules that uh, thinking has really started. But uh, to, to get to your good question, what might what lessons for thinking or living might we take from this book? I think awareness uh, about the uh, physical structures. You know, I mean, I, I, one of my favorite uh, heroes is Buckminster Fuller, the man that created the geodesic dome, which is a, a structure, you know, with the kind of the structure and shape of a, of a soap bubble. And just that became, uh, you know, a one of the most efficient ways to create, to enclose a space that's easier to heat and so on. Uh, you know, it hasn't become a new example for the way we want to build our houses, though some people do live in geodesic domes. But the point is that there is so much in our world that uh, comes from the molecular and biochemists and bioengineers are creating new, improved uh, styles of coffee or alcohol or food or whatever we're, we're using that molecular world 
uh, and our knowledge of the molecular world to build a better world all the time. And But I think that the idea is that with our free will, with our ability to imagine, we are able to create messages and, and rules and, and uh, understandings for ourselves that we can take to ourselves. We are not victims. We are not passive. We are active thinkers. And we can build out of our own imaginations, out of our own dire uh, desires, our own intuitions, our visions that we can have for ourselves, what we want to have in our own life. And I think that's one of my main ideas is that we are not inert. We are not uh, thoughtless. We are rich in thought and imagination, and we have to use that power. Just like one of my heroes is Walt Disney, uh, who built a fantastic world based on hope and imagination and love and and uh, the idea of family that we can have a a fun world. And he built Disneyland, and then he built Walt Disney World in Florida. And Disney has been on some ups and downs and currently a little bit on a downtrend, they tell us in the uh, economic papers. But I just still love the uh, the power of imagination as exemplified by Walt Disney, what we can do with our world and with our own individual lives through the power of hope, desire, kindness, and and pure imagination to build a world that is better for all of us. So that. To me, that's what I am inspired by, is that the power of what our imaginations can do with both the knowledge of the structure of matter, but also the gift from matter for our imaginations to exist and to have physical reality in this world. Well, I, I will tell you that uh, it, it fascinates me to no end to, <laughs> no pun intended, think about <laughs> Isn't that a great uh, thing you can do? <laughs> it, it, it is. And it is. What's amazing is that um, uh, when one starts to think about the various opportunities, and of course, we use the word choices here on the program, choices and knowledge of those choices. Uh, and that is defined as uh, a, uh, an opportunity that you never knew about before. And then we then go through the process of telling you what that opportunity is all about. So now you have the choice and knowledge of that choice. And it seems to me that in the thinking process, that's also part of the process to seek out new choices that may very well be outside of our respective box or nine dots, as the analogy goes. Right. How do you go about the process of finding those new choices, those new ways of thinking uh, that facilitate uh, your life's, um, the word happiness has been used an awful lot lately, and I'm actually reading a book uh, by, um, uh, by both a Dr. Arthur Brooks and Oprah Winfrey. Uh, I, it's called, um, I think it's called Building uh, Your Life or Building a Better Life. I'll have to look that up and I'll give you the title here in a minute. But uh, where they're talking about happiness and, of course, in our founding documents, you know, we, you know, we we talk about that all the time in terms of uh, in terms of, um, you know, life liberty these these are in an in a inalienable rights right. supposedly given us given to us by 
the divine, you know, the greater power, whatever, of life, that's self-evident, we're alive. Liberty, that's not so self-evident, but they don't give us happiness. They give us the pursuit of happiness. So in terms of the choices that we're talking about, in terms of the opportunities, in terms of thinking in in, in this realm, uh, how, how do you go about finding those new ways of thinking, especially in this context of uh, thinking like a molecule? Well, I think the... Uh, um... You know, just the, the the power of your imagination and the power of your ability to think is that, you know, you, I mean, we know that we have about 8 billion thinkers of us on the planet. We have a lot of different ways of thinking. You've got people that support a certain former president who think that that person is a paradigm of excellence. And then there's a, I, I hopefully a larger amount of people that think that that former president is not a paradigm of excellence. Uh, but they're both spending a lot of time thinking. Uh, all of these, all of these eight billion people are are spending a great time, a deal of time thinking, trying to plan their own pathways and so on. Uh, and uh, as I said a minute ago, I just hope that the calculation of those eight billion people will ultimately arrive in a uh, a greater possibility for peace and happiness on the planet. What just uh, distresses me is, a, is that a large amount of people tend tend to think that you have to use force in uh, defining the course that you want the planet to take. So we see the almost complete destruction of Gaza that's been happening over the last several since October 7th is that that seems to be a constructive pathway, uh, according to some thinking, is that that, that is going to be the way we need to go. So some people think that applying force, uh, that's still a big, big portion of their humanity's consciousness is that we think we've got to apply force, that we've got to have good armaments, we've got to have you know, strong armies and so on, because we need to use, we need to be ready to use force at any time. That dismays me completely, but at the same time, it's almost an inevitable political rally, uh, um, political reality is that you need to have enough force to overcome the other force that's going to be applied to you. So that's, you know, that's kind of thinking like a molecule in a way. You need to have uh, equal force meeting an equal force uh, in order to not have one force winning out. So, you know, you can analyze this uh, in so many different ways, but my my hope, prayer, belief, and uh uh, intention is that is that we would learn to use forces for the good to make better automobiles, to make better homes. You know, to because you can't build a home without forcing a nail into the wood or whatever. You know, it takes a certain amount of application of force to do things, but or to build a highway through a, a tunnel through a mountain takes a lot of application of force. But when it becomes inhuman, when applied against living human life. To me, that is a sin. That is a crime against life and against humanity to be trying to take human life as a as an appropriate quote appropriate use of force. To me, that's a completely inappropriate use of force, and we should figure out a way to be able to as as a humanity, we should be able to figure out a way to make that not a, a, an appropriate use of force. So, I'm just my just my hope is that we are thoughtful enough in our, uh, in our 
uh, in our thinking and caring and loving enough in our thinking to be able to apply our intelligence about how do we make the most out of this miracle of creation and uh, whoever created this universe i can't imagine a living entity big enough to create the universe which is 14 billion light years across now it's a pretty darn big place uh but what but i do find it awesome and and exciting to think about this what kind of entity what kind of life force i would think could create a universe and it's just that seems at the scope of god but i just don't know how to apply a personality or a consciousness or a, a physical reality even to the concept of a god it's just beyond my comprehension i think anthropomorphizing the concept uh has not benefited us you know, there's this white bearded uh, gentleman sitting on his throne or his his recliner, his lazy boy <laughs> <laughs> running, running the show, uh, you know, by the same token, I'm not going to sit here and say that that isn't possible because I don't know. And I'm certainly willing to say when it, it is true, I don't know. I'll get asked questions all the time especially by my wife. She'll ask me this question and I'll say, I don't know. I, just, I don't. Interesting. It is Richard, interesting, Richard, I think, to imagine a, a, a kind of intelligence, a kind of consciousness, a, a, a kind of intentionality that that could potentially exist in the in the universe and could potentially say, let there be light, let there be matter, let there be a yeah. universe here. And so... Uh, because when you think about the capabilities of an, the early IBM computers or <clears throat> the capabilities now with Google, you know, which is almost like a worldwide computer, we haven't come up with any kind of output from from Google that's that's coherent at all. It's not there's no intentional uh, goodness that comes out of Google, except for the amazing fact of its existence that all these brains can somehow be. Uh, coalescing and sharing thoughts and so on it almost looks like the beginning of some kind of a worldwide intelligence except there's no purpose out of it except for continuing its own existence but given the scope of those kind of realities that our human minds are making on the planet you can almost begin to take additional leaps up to what could potentially create a planet, a planet like Saturn or or, uh, or Jupiter? What could cre potentially create this a sun that would burst into flame to warm all these planets and warm us as we lay on a beach? What could potentially is there a potential intelligence large enough to have created not just our solar system but the trillions and trillions of them that are out there? What kind of intelligence could be that big? The word God doesn't even begin to describe the scope of that. And I don't yeah. know, I, but it does lead my imagination into realms of pure science fiction, dreaming about what could potentially encompass this 14 billion light years across universe of ours. Well, I find that interesting that you have uh, you have a number to define the the uh, distance across the universe that we that we know because i i the only definition i've or the only um, uh, measurement i have ever heard throughout my growing up uh was that the universe was infinite 
you know, you couldn't, con you know, you, you, you can't even wrap your mind, your brain around what, what does that mean? If it's infinite, it just goes on forever. Really? Wow. Yeah, okay. Well, what's interesting, I, I'm a big reader of uh, science news and Dennis Overby from the New York Times is a particularly uh, powerful hero of mine because he just follows these stories. But there was a story in the New York Times this week about some of the oldest uh, galaxies that exist. And, and they're, when they talk about seeing uh, light from some of these things that were projected near the beginning of the universe, maybe being projected about 500 million years after the beginning of the universe, which scientists agree, pretty much agree, is uh, happened 14 billion years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, if if it, the universe was born 14.7.5 or something billion years ago, presumably light has been traveling across that. And the speed of light, of course, as a light year, is how far light will travel in a year. But if light has been traveling since the beginning of the universe, uh, there is some light that is reaching us having traveled 14 billion light years. And so they're just, we're looking at some shapes of those very early galaxies and they're saying, oh, it's interesting. They look a little bit like pickles. They look a little bit like <laughs> bananas. They're sort of oblong shape. And so it's just very interesting because these scientists can't figure it out either. But, you know, what does it mean to be looking back into the past 14 billion light years, 14 billion years ago? Mm -hmm. and see what those, so they're saying... But then that's, you know, uh, 500 million years before that, that must have been the Big Bang. And they even have this term for the beginning of the universe, the Big Bang. It looks like a point, like a, about the smaller than a pencil tip was the beginning of the universe. To me, that's everybody scratches their head. So that doesn't make any sense, you know. So is there a new elements of multi-dimensions or dimensionality in which mm -hmm. you, know, you could turn the corner and suddenly there's a universe. Uh, yeah. You know, well, you know so we, those are the things that we're just, the scientists are struggling with. And I just sort of try to be at the leading edge of what true scientists are thinking about. Yeah. And so thinking of that's all in the scope of thinking like a molecule, sort of being aware of, you know, a fundamental reality in which is that inside of every one of us is molecules that are basically in atoms that are coming together, just like this universe somehow came together to make us and then uh, and to make our ability to think. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I'm a firm believer that uh, uh, everything that exists at whatever level we want to look at it, uh, there is a pattern. OK, there's a there, there's a protocol, there's a process and um, you, we were talking earlier, of course, about the sperm and the egg and so forth. And okay, so I don't know how many cells or molecules make up an egg or a sperm, okay? But let's just say for the sake of argument that the egg is its own individual uh, uh, entity as, as is the sperm, in spite of the fact that there are millions of them that swim upstream like salmon, right. uh, you know, to, uh, to their, their spawning grounds, as it were. And when they get together, when these two elements come together, they actually become one. Right. All right. So there's a single element. Uh, I'm just using that uh, term loosely. But then that element through the combining of the two 
then divides in half. Right. And then divides in half again. And that process just continues and continues and continues. And so I'm sitting here thinking, okay, as above, so below, because we've heard that phrase through throughout the centuries uh, from various uh, philosophical bents, you know, uh, and I, I think, okay, maybe that's how the Big Bang started. Maybe through the process of bringing two elements together, but then of course there's always there's always the one wild individual who says, "Yeah, but well, where did those two elements come from?" It's like, okay, <laughs> there has to come a point, uh, you know, where we have to sort of, and and maybe I'm I'm wrong in this, but again, this is the whole process, the beautiful process of pondering things, thinking about things, right? Is uh, wondering where stuff came from, how this happened, how that happened. I mean, I look at some of these uh, Facebook and sh and YouTube shorts of of uh, things that happen, especially on the highways. I see some of these accidents, and I'm going, "How in the world did this person make that decision that caused their car to stumble over and over and over again into a ditch?" Right. Uh, you know, why would they? You know, it's so over. So there, there there comes a point at which, all right, you've got these two elements. And by the way, when I when I I think about life, for example, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All right, life. But when those two elements come together to create the one that then divides and divides and divides, those two elements are alive. So when people start talking about a new life, that's inaccurate. It's not a new life it's the continue this is my observation it's a continuation of life similar to what you referred to earlier on the program well I, and i i think that's a very beautiful point but what what is interesting to me is that when the the, the cell and the ovum uh, when the sperm and the ovum come together uh i mean meaning starting a new life means a new person because the mm -hmm. ovum was not a person the sperm was not a person it's only the sure. generation of those two that they yeah. that created that creates the new person so a new life is a new way as a way of saying a new person yeah but you're right i mean the continuity of life is that there you know you couldn't you couldn't have life without life if you will and that's one of the great mysteries in uh, among the scientists that I love to read, and Mr. Overby being a good example, trying to understand, you know, how did life arise out of the slime, out of the uh, the mud of the oceans or the mud of the salt marshes or or whatever it was. There was some place or other that some basic, uh, you know, proteins came together or something, something like that. And then how, you know, out of the ooze. There was a wonderful uh, animated film made, I don't know, 30 or 40 years ago in which uh, to the to the uh, march of the song Bolero, you know, a little bubble in the mud suddenly goes bloop and there's suddenly a little worm that's crawling along and and to the Bolero, dun da 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 this creature goes and uh, crawls a worm crawls up and became a lizard and then the lizard crawled up and became a monkey and it crawled up 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 and then finally a person and it finally comes to a great climb and, it, and who knows what we're at the level of our humanity with eight billion people creating google and other miracles you know but it, that that 
showing that out of the ooze became this came this uh for the life of our planet anyway four billion years um of of to create that google google mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> i hear you yeah. out of that little teensy blip in the mud someplace you know so that's just to me just as big a mystery and scientists don't have the answer to that how did life start uh and where how did the universe start and and then of course the big questions about what other life why have we not heard any seen any signals with all of the listening we've done to the outer space why have we not heard any you know anybody else talking about the pythagorean theorem, theorem across the universe you know? yeah yeah, I, you know, and of course, I know that there are those who believe primarily in the scientific community that, uh, for example, math is the universal language, you know, and I'm sitting here thinking, well, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe more music, vibration, if you will, is sort of the universal language. By the way, isn't that an interesting uh, aspect? Uh, <clears throat> you know, and God said, let there be light and there was light. But in that whole dissertation there is no reference to sound and god uh -huh. said god spoke he said which means there was sound uh, but he never says let there be sound uh -huh. it's 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 like okay what we'll do is we don't have to worry about creating sound what we have what i have to do is i have to make sure that all of the beings that i create have the capacity to uh e e interpret the vibrations, let's just say the old the old uh, joke about if a tree falls in the wood and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, yeah, you know, you don't know, because if there's nobody there to hear it, how do you know that it made a sound? You can't say either way. It's kind of like uh, uh, what what is that uh, scientific uh, axiom of? Uh, oh, Schrodinger's cat. Right. OK either the cat is alive or the cat is dead, but you don't know because there's a lid on it. Right. Uh, so uh, you don't, but you don't hear that aspect uh, in, in that dissertation. Let there be sound, you know? Right. Uh, uh, so and I find it, that interesting. As, as a radio guy, you know, you'd be particularly interested in the sound, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. interesting. It's all radiation, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but, but that is interesting. And, you know, when you say let there be light, I'm trying to decide whether let light does that encompass enough matter to create a planet you know or, or whatever mm. let, there, let there be light and and matter or does light en encompass matter or does light encompass sound for that matter too you know it's all the radiations you know the the waves that go through space yeah uh, and obviously and, the and, sound doesn't get off the earth because there's no air off the earth but right the, but the radiation light radiation can get off the earth you know well and even even it's also stated again in this particular document you know and god created the heavens and the earth and i'm going okay i get you he created this planet that we call earth right and that's it he created the heavens and the earth it's the okay. only planet that god created uh, or are we to assume that God created the heavens that there are multiple heavens kind of like, what is it in, in uh, the, the, the uh, divine comedy uh, you know, there are, what are there seven levels of hell, right, you know, exactly. there are several levels, there are seven levels of heaven, you know, I know the well, Mormon. Everybody's been trying to figure out the structure of the universe. And uh, Dante did that with his seven levels of hell. We've come a long way since then. And we've, 
come to understand that there are nine planets in our solar system, and then there's trillions and trillions of suns and planets all throughout this heavens. Nobody knew what the heavens were other than looking up and seeing blue sky. But at that time, we've come a long way in the 5,000 yeah. years since the Bible started to get yeah. written. By the way, I found it interesting when I, I also uh, co-host a program called Skyview with uh, uh, Dr. Sky Steve Cates, uh, who uh, uh, basically we talk about astronomy, space, aviation, and weather. Great. And we often talk about the light that comes from uh, from the universe to right. us and how old it is and that it is entirely possible, might be not probable, but possible uh, that wherever that light came from, from such a far distance away, wherever that light came from, that source may not even exist anymore. But we're just now seeing the light of that element that is now gone because maybe it blew up in a supernova or whatever the case might be. That's true. You know, and and, and that to me is 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 quite uh, um, it's mind boggling, if you will, uh, to to contemplate. And of course, as we get closer and closer there, what was it they said that? If we were to travel to Mars, for example, and I know lots of people are wanting to do that, I think it takes nine months to get there and nine months to get back. Um, but, for example, communication. It takes, I can't remember the exact time frame, but it takes several minutes to transmit from Earth to Mars, for example, the, the Mars rover, to send it a command, and then it takes that same length of time for the, uh, shall we say, the response the, to return to Earth, saying, yes, we you know, carried out the command. Right, right, right. So we're, we're constantly looking into the past, and I've often done this, uh, this analogy, you know, being in, in this industry, and, and then computers coming into this industry back in the 90s. Well, actually before that, but nonetheless, uh, in terms of uh, personal computers and uh, sound editing, sound recording uh, software and how you watch the wave being created of the voice and that there's that center line where on the one side, it's usually the right hand side. There's nothing just it's a void. There's nothing there. But on the left hand side. That's where the wave is, the, the, the representation of the sound that has been uh, transmitted to the computer. But it's that center line that is the here and the now. It's this moment. And so as I am speaking, or even as you are speaking and hearing your voice, believe it or not, what you are hearing is already in the past. Uh -huh, uh -huh. It's already in the past. No matter how quickly you can hear it, it's already gone. Right. Well, the sound takes sound takes a while to get there for sure. You know, yeah. you you hear the airplane going overhead. You know, it's a, ten thousand feet up in the air. You know, you look up there. No, no, the plane's not there. It's about two miles the other way because it took a while for that sound to get down. So, uh, so it does. You just have to kind of when you turn off a light switch. You know, the light is still hitting the wall uh, in your room while the light. Uh, is off, you know. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah. that light doesn't take very long to cross your room, but it does take 10 minutes to get to Mars. You're right. 
Yeah, it's 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 truly a, a amazing uh, a concept. I mean, I mean, even if you have a man on the moon, it's it's not instantaneous. It still takes a few seconds uh, for the transmissions to reach their destination, the receivers. Uh, Those just are the like, kind of marvelous things that when yeah. you when you dig into science, it's just like golly, that is in the think of a Gomer pile. Golly. <laughs> <laughs> By the way. Um, uh, the the um, uh, the uh, uh, beings that are out in the universe, uh, they're uh, they're watching. They're still watching some of the programming that we broadcast uh, on radio and television back in the 20s and 30s. Uh, yeah. And the current stuff hasn't even uh, left our uh, solar system, maybe, you know, or left our galaxy as of yet, because uh, it takes time for the sound waves to they don't travel as fast as light. Um, uh, it's it, again, it it. That's one of the reasons I love the program Skyview with with Dr. Sky is these kinds of conversations that we talk about, uh, they, they just fascinate me. And I've often, uh, you know, I brought up some very uh, sort of uh, you might call them bizarre questions, but they're questions that come to mind because it's like, what if? Um, let me right. ask you, uh, Chuck Champlin is my guest. He's the author of uh, <clears throat> Think Like a uh, uh, Think Like a Molecule. Uh, cute little but I love the I love the cover you have actually uh, two covers I guess uh, an original cover but this one I have has a great little almost like a, looks like a star going supernova uh it's a seeking inspiration in the structures of thought in the structures of thought talk to us about th the structure of thought I because I, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, of a building being built and there's scaffolding all around it to help to to start building it. So what what is the structure of thought? Well, I actually have two different titles for the book. The earlier title says Seeking Inspiration uh, in Connection and Collaboration. And then this, when I republished the book, uh, changed a few words here and there, but did change the subtitle. And I think the structures of thought are you know, we do imagine almost anything we do in the structures of our thought. And so, in a way, what there are tremendous amounts of uh, uh, thoughts. Let me show you a book that I found recently. As Chuck is searching that out, a reminder that uh, this is Tell Me Your Story. Oh, very cool. I like that. This book called Cognition, it's a textbook from uh, school. This is the fifth fifth edition of it but it's amazing to see uh the uh the way the brain lights up they have a lot of images in this one they're showing a light at the top of the brain it's actually showing a light bulb but there are a lot of ways that, that the scientists can now look inside the brain and see the different areas when you're thinking about walking your dog this part lights up but over here lights up well, when you're thinking about kissing your wife, no, this lights up and this lights up or whatever, you know. And so the brain is such a com complex thing. But that's not exactly what I'm talking about. What I'm, what I'm talking about are the way that you may formulate what you want to do today, what you want to do with your great idea. Do you want to write a book? Do you want to do a podcast? Do you, you know, whatever. It's it's a, how do you think about your 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 day tomorrow? What are you planning to do tomorrow? And so it's one of my favorite words is metacognition. Metacognition is thinking about thinking, basically. And so I think that's one of the things that I've discovered and, and admired in my own thinking about this book is that 
I'm saying it's possible to be aware of your thoughts enough to say, wait a minute, there I am with my bad thinking about how much I dislike that person or my bad thinking about, gosh, I've got to have another cigarette or whatever it is, you know, some bad behaviors. And do you have enough stepping outside of your thinking to realize, well, here comes that bad desire again, and I don't think I want that. So metacognition, can you really think about your thinking in a way to improve it and thinking about what you want to do with your life at a, at a more profound level, thinking about how you want to relate to people at a more sensible level, things like that. So mm -hmm. metacognition is, I think, a very powerful tool that, uh, that I think I would impress upon everybody. Are you able to think about your thinking in a way to um, help it be more healthy for you, more productive in your life, better for the friends around you, better for your financial well-being, whatever else. Are you able to think about the structures of your intentions for yourself and for your life? You know, that's interesting because um, what we want to become is the observer of our thoughts. In right. this context of, of what you're talking about, we want to become the observer. Let it's 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 similar to conversations I've had about meditation. Uh, right. It used to be that you know you want to get the mind of quiet, quiet down, be quiet. I'm trying to meditate over here, right? And uh, and then of course I've I've taken it to new levels where I say, well, why don't we, you know, uh, uh, say to the mind, hey, I need I want to go over here and I want to spend some time with my friend. Uh, in meditation and so forth. And when I come back, I'll have some new ideas and concepts we can play with. And then uh, <clears throat> I had uh, a, a guest who said, well, why don't you try this? The mind is kind of, you know, we've heard of the monkey mind. And the mind is like a child, right? So why not say, I'll tell you what, I want to go over here, all right, in this quiet place and I want to meditate. You can come with me, but you have to be quiet. Okay. <laughs> Allow, in other words, invite the mind to come with you, just like you would a child. I mean, imagine how you would feel as a child not being invited to a birthday party. <laughs> it may not be quite as 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 uh, a traumatic as an adult, but still, you know, you, you want to be at least if you are going to refuse, it would be nice to be invited. So you invite the mind to come along, but there's only just one rule. You have to be quiet so that <laughs> I can focus on the still small voice. It's so small that if you aren't quiet, I won't be able to hear it. And then we won't have anything to play with later. Uh, and I thought, wow, what a concept to make, basically make friends with the mind, make the mind your partner, because you cannot compartmentalize the human being any more than you can uh, compartmentalize the species because as you and I probably both agree, we're all connected at, at some level, we are all connected. I mean, I think about it in terms of uh, let's just say, for example, empaths. Uh, and there are people uh, I'm married to one who is an empath, which sometimes can be very, very frustrating because she's going to tell me how I'm feeling or what I'm thinking. <laughs> and, and I'm going to say, no, because it's like, wait a minute, let me, you know, that's kind of where the ego comes in. Let me share this with you instead of you picking it out of the air, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, but we are all 
we're all interconnected in that respect. We're all made of the same as I think it was Carl Sagan who said stardust. We're all made of the same stardust. We right. came from stardust. We're going to return to stardust. That's true. And Carl Sagan is a, is a hero of mine. I have his biography here and I have his book on cosmos and stuff too. Yeah. He, he's a, he's a definitely a heroic figure, but I think that the idea of the metacognition, you know, you do have so much capability to direct your, your thinking, not always, you know, you, if you are, you know, driving down the street and suddenly a, uh, uh, something bright white flashes outside the car, you know, you might have to quit, take a look at it. But, you know, you do have the ability to inject uh, phrases into your head, like today I am going to be smarter. Today I'm going to be smarter, you know. And uh, I was hearing my sister telling me about uh, something she heard. Some people have higher levels of internal dialogue and voicing than other people do. And I, and I decided that's probably one of the one of the seven different kinds of intelligence. You know, people talk about some people have better intuition about music some people have better intuition about spatial relationships and some people probably have clearer awareness of their thinking of their of their intuition of the internal voice so but i'm a very aware that uh metacognition involves the possibility of putting intentional thoughts into your head about the way you want to change the life the way you want to behave the way the things that you want to focus on to prioritize your own sense of what's the value in your life you know, that also makes me think about a, a portion of my book, which um, has not been published yet. I'm still trying to get to that phase. I may have to talk to you about that because you have your own uh, uh, media company, as it were. And then maybe you can uh, give me some insights as to how to bring this particular book to fruition. Although I am not hard on myself about having taken 22 years. Oh, now <laughs> it's 23 years uh, to put this book together because I remind myself that the book will come out when it's time. What's it called? It's called Choices. Ah. It's called Choices. Uh, and uh, in it, I talk about um, how making, uh, basically you have uh, five different steps in this process. And one of them is um, uh, to uh, choose the, the type of input that you want that will reinforce step one is make a choice. Okay. If it's about your home life, if it's about relationships, your job, your economy, whatever the case might be, vacation, make a choice. I want to go to Yuba City to visit Chuck and Leslie Chaplin. Chaplin, uh, Champman, Champman. I'm, I'll get it. Anyway, I want to go to Yuba City to visit my friends. And so now you go through the other steps. And one of them has to do with um, uh, choosing your personal input. And you choose the input that reinforces the choice you have made. And you stay away from or you discern what input you don't want. And again, when I speak of input, I'm talking about all of it uh, through the five senses. Okay. What you read what you watch on tv what you listen to uh in terms of maybe if it's the news the podcasts music etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, you know whatever the source is you discern whether or not that is in support of your choice to visit chuck and leslie up in yuba city or it's not 
<clears throat> uh, doing some research on um, how to get up there, how to travel. You know, we're going to take uh, take the vehicle we're in uh, and stay at hotels or what have you, or are we going to somehow figure a way to take the travel trailer and park it at a at an RV park once we get up there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or you can stay in our guest bedroom for a week. <laughs> we we will do that. That's what we will do uh, because uh, that would facilitate having the funds to be able to to do other things and so forth and so on. So when you're talking about this uh, metacognition, uh, it makes me think about that in terms of what is it that I really want, you know, and and then surrounding myself. And, and this also includes the people you have in your life. Right. Okay. And I, I used to use the word, you have the right to discriminate. I think the better word that I've already used is you have the right to discern who you want in your life and who you don't. When Amrita was going through her cancer scare back in 2001, wow. her ex-husband would visit her in the hospital. And he would be constantly talking about sort of the negative aspects of having contracted cancer. At one point, I never told her, I don't want him in here anymore. You tell him not to come by. I said, I'm not real happy with the fact that he comes in here and says the things that he does because it's not helping you. But again, I left the choice up to her. I shared with her how I felt, but at the same time, uh, it's not up to me. It's up to her. Uh, matter of fact, the book choices is based upon a question that I asked her along with uh, uh, a flyer that I created that I stay, I taped up all over the house Good. while she was going through her chemo that wow. had those five steps. Uh, but the question I asked her just before she went into surgery was, and I did ask it this way, do you want to live or do you want to die? I may not like your choice, but I will support you in it. And um, so, so that's, that's where that comes from. But I think that, that we, we have forgotten that we have choices. It's not, we're not victims. See, this is where you don't have any choices. If you're a victim, you don't have any choices. It's not, you're not in, you're not responsible for your life, you know? Yeah. When the reality is, if you think like a molecule and you're observing your thoughts and you're realizing, oh, I'm thinking this and I'm thinking that. Uh, one of the first things I would say, though, Chuck, is whatever the thought is and I don't want it, it's not that it's a bad thought. It's just I don't want it because it's not supporting my choice. You, it's, you know, uh, because. Then what you're doing is you're criticizing the mind for coming up with it. I mean, it's your thought. Your mind came up with it, but don't put the mind down because that thought came in because that thought may have been created by some traumatic event that you had as a kid growing up, you know? Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. And so I think that metacognition is a useful tool to, 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 to kind of be aware of what you're thinking. And, mm -hmm. uh, and worth worth being able to, to either not direct your thoughts or moderate your thoughts to avoid things that are not part of your ideal sense of self. Exactly. Exactly. Chuck Champlin is my guest. Uh, think like a molecule. 
uh it's um it it's it's the um it's the uh, precursor to uh walk like an egyptian but chuck didn't write that one uh <laughs> <laughs> beautiful um, title I think that, it, it, well, it is indeed. Think like a molecule, but walk like an Egyptian. Um, boy, that takes you back, what, to the, I can't remember if that was the 70s or 80s when that came out. Be that as it may, a fascinating uh, investigation into being aware of the physical foundations in matter that have given rise to our thoughts. And from there, it's, it's, uh, onward onward and upward if you will into the realm of pure imagination and the twinkling stars of our infinite potential before we wrap up this program and boy i gotta tell you this has just been fascinating for me talk to us about uh, the the um well how about we do this compare and contrast the concepts of thinking like a molecule and imagining like a molecule well, I think that's the range of uh, what I'm uh, what I'm suggesting is that uh, you know be aware of your thoughts, use that skill of metacognition, and be thinking about the structures of your thought and also the structure of your life. Uh, you know, the, and be aware of that that the concept of the H two O, two hydrogens and one oxygen. What's interesting, as I think about them, they are so fluid. You know, that's uh, to mm. no pun intended, no, no pun intended, pun fully, fully intended. Oh, okay. Because those two hydrogens <laughs> roll around that oxygen. They don't, they're not fixed. You normally see it looking like, you know, uh, a, a, a solid a drawing, a drawn picture. But these mm -hmm. things are, are so m malleable. And so these, the two uh, um, uh, hydrogens and the one oxygen they they bond to other water molecules as well because there's a slight polarity between the minus and the plus in that H2O formulation. So that's just one of the examples. And other structures of molecules are frankly way beyond me, but I liked your reference to the uh, stick and ball models that you used to see in high school yeah. uh, of the molecules of, say, a, a, a hydrocarbon or something though some of those molecules are the dna molecule and oh yeah come to understand how enormously complex those things are based on a very very simple formulas of a b a c or c a connections and that in the, the 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 helix the spiral dna helix so that's you know and there you are with the memory of of, of life itself uh, and and that's you know that's such a profound miracle of how DNA you know something smaller than the head of a pin you know is uh, contains the entirety of what your hair color is likely to be or what your how how long you're likely to live and so on all tied up in that DNA molecule. You know so what is also fascinating. So profound, so profound. Oh my lord! What, the matter that we understand as human beings now, how much scientists and our thinkers have figured out how it all works and 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 again those diagrammical uh, representations thereof it's like how did you come up with it did you actually with a microscope an electron microscope whatever you used to high magnification you were actually able to see the dna molecule not only the strand but the fact that it was also twisted, twisted. slightly twisted i mean somebody had to have 
either imagined it, I guess, or seen it under a microscope or whatever to come up with what we see now as fixed as fixed diagrams or or images in books and so on and so forth, or even uh, as models on a on a laboratory table, that kind of thing. It, it, that is something that uh, blows me away. Right, and and the and the process of figuring out the structure of that DNA molecule happened back in the 1950s. But that's an amazing scientific uh, process that's uh, fascinating to read about. Yeah, uh, and uh, Crick, you know, Lewis Crick, and so on. Anyway, that those, uh, yeah, and, and the famous story about a woman who was had really found out where the way it was going to work, and people, a lot of people thought that that woman should have gotten a. Uh, Nobel Prize too, but she unfortunately died before uh, she was uh, would have been eligible to get it. Yeah, it's and you know it's, it's and it's amazing too. Again, like I said before, the 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 concepts that people have come up with, the, and some of it has been imaginary. I don't get me wrong, but at the same time, um, how do we know that they haven't tapped into something? Um, you know, that's more etheric, more metaphysical, shall we say, uh, in terms of maybe that uh, that the power that created all of this and all of us uh, that we are actually able to tap into, which is another element we talk about on this program in terms of, uh, you know, listening to that still small voice. And of course, I will also acknowledge from my perspective, my observations, that each one of us has our own still small voice where we will get, as I've used the phrase 2020 vision, we will get perfect guidance and inspiration for ourselves. And I, I, I cannot get information for you, Chuck, from my still small voice. And you cannot get information for me from your still small voice. It is extremely individual. It is, uh, it's it's that's why I've always found it fascinating. First of all, uh, when uh, the 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 religious folks and we started out talking about this as well, they will say, "God, God told me to tell you," and I stopped them right there and I say, "Hold it. Uh, I'm right here. If God wants to call me, collect. I will accept the charges, <laughs> but I don't now." If I want some confirmation, I might go to an intuitive and say, look, I, I'm, I've been trying to nail this, this concept down in my own mind, blah, 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 blah. Can you give me some insight? And then they will, with my permission, they will tap into, shall we say, the divine or the ethers or the metaphysical world, and they will give me maybe confirmation. But at the same time, this is also what's fascinating, Chuck. We talked about, you know, looking into the past. All you have to do is look in the sky and you're looking into the past. Right. <laughs> um, when we are given that inspiration at that given moment, all right, that inspiration, that's fine. However, because everything is in motion in the next instant, that information may change because right. everything is in motion, you know? And uh, I know people, uh, we didn't talk about this. Maybe we'll save this for another program another time. As they say, change is the only constant in the universe. And it's true. And that we have been taught to abhor it, to run from it. <clears throat> uh, John Denver says in one of his songs, changes somehow frighten me. Still, I have to smile. 
it turns me on to think of growing old. And I remember hearing that when I was in my uh, late te in my teens and twenties, and I would hear that song, and I'm thinking, yeah, I guess it would be kind of cool, uh, you know, growing old. Well, here I am. And it is, it actually is. And it's, it's a lot of fun because of uh, the community that I have developed through this program and, uh, and elsewhere. Uh, but change is, is a tough one for a lot of folks. I know that even uh, Amrita, my wife, she, you know, she doesn't like it when people pass. She was more upset over my grieving over my father's passing than over my father's passing, which I know she was certainly upset about because she knew him. Um, you know, and, uh, same thing with my best friend of 53 years, we grew up grade school, high school, college, and so forth. But again, change is the one and only constant in the universe and change, meaning that everything is in constant motion. You ever have one of those instances, Chuck? I did at the age of seven, I'm sitting in mass and I'm trying to blink really fast so that I can have two identical blinks of the eyes, right? Two identical. Huh. And as I'm trying to do it, my mind is racing to the point where I finally realized, oh, that will never happen. And I realized that everything is in motion. And so from the time of the first blink to the second, even though it's maybe a half a second, the universe and my molecular structure, the subatomic particles, everything is moving. So there can never be, you remember the, uh, the story of the scientists conducting a particular experiment and they did it once and they got their result and they said, well, let's do it one more time to make sure that, uh, you know, we can confirm it. They got a different result. So they tried it a third time, got a third different result and on and on. And then they finally theorized that they were affecting the results of the experiment. That's something you have to check when you're doing experiments for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. And I know I've, I've spoken an awful lot here, folks. Chuck Champlin is my guest. The book is entitled think like a molecule. As we continue here on tell me your story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, Chuck Templin, I want to thank you so much. Uh, first of all, thank you for being a part of Tell Me Your Story and sharing uh, this uh, this book and the story of it. Uh, and uh, also uh, our thanks to Leslie for allowing you to have so much time uh, to share with us here on the program. And also, I want to let our listeners know we're going to have you back for, uh, we'll call it part two, not of Think Like a Molecule, part two having to do with your other book that we want to talk about called Wand. And um, give us a real quick uh, synopsis of what that's about so people can prepare for that, because uh, we're going to do that very soon so that folks can uh, learn more about the work you're doing. All right. Well, that book was written uh, as a result of a contest uh, by Ted Turner, the founder of CNN, for a book that would uh, talk about the survival and prosperity of humanity. 2,500 people responded to his contest. I didn't win it like 2,499 people. But, uh, uh, but I'm proud to have the book. And the power of a wand is the power of a pencil or a pen to change the world. So that's the essence. But it's a man in 1989, Los Angeles, who was trying to figure out a way to change the world. And so he's thinking that his wand may be one way to do it. 
So he gets involved with the homeless population and so on. So I will be very excited to talk to you about it. Absolutely. And I will tell you that as a kid growing up, uh, we would be asked, what do you want to do when you grow up or what do you want to accomplish in your life? You know, and of course, they, you know, they said, you know, yes, you could say you want to change the world, but don't do that because that's too big. It's just too big. You need to take it in bite sizes. Uh, here I am, 63 years old, and I've been saying this for quite a number of years. I want to change the world. <laughs> okay. And it may be big, but it's gotten smaller, especially because of our capabilities with uh, communication, transmission, and so forth. So uh, I, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So we'll be uh, very excited to uh, hear more about you and the work that you are doing uh, in, um, uh, I find this fascinating when people do retire nine times out of 10, they are now busier than when they were working. And that's true with you too. I take it. That's good. Well, I'm glad to be a role model. You get your book done guy. I want to hear, I want to have a copy of it signed by you choices. I want to see that book. All right. Well, we will talk. We will talk off air about that because uh, I, I want to uh, I want to get through it. Uh, it's not a big book. I mean, it's probably smaller than even the two books that I've got from you here. But uh, one of these days uh, soon, very soon, and I, I keep saying this and I make commitments to different guests and I tell them about this. OK, you make the commitment, you make the intention. And it's like and that date went by. <laughs> but I keep reminding myself. I don't, I'm not critical. I just keep reminding myself divine right order, divine right order. There you it'll, go. It'll be out when it's time. Chuck, I have three final questions I want to ask you that I ask all of my guests. Uh, once again, thank you so much for giving us an unbelievable amount of time here on the program. This has been great. But before I ask you those questions, I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m., and then Monday through Friday from 8 to 9, following the news. Uh, and uh, every single one of those nine programs each week is different. And I'm so excited to be able to bring you so many of these programs that are available on our podcast site, which is SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many others. No, there's no glitch in the audio or video. I did repeat a couple of things there. We're also <laughs> on YouTube where you can watch these conversations and, um, we ask that you subscribe if you can. If not, uh, I understand as long as you're listening and or watching. And uh, also click notify, notification, so that every time I put up a new conversation, you will be uh, notified of that fact and you can go and listen and watch. We ask that if you can support the work we're doing financially, we would be ever so grateful. We are appreciative to those who have helped and to those who will help. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Put in uh, on the PayPal account uh, when you go to send uh, my email address, which is richard at richarddugan.com. That's richard at richarddugan.com. And also spend some time going within and listening to that still small voice during this, the decade of perfect vision. With all of that said, uh, we now go to our final three questions. I will tell you, Chuck, that this used to be what I called the lightning round of Tell Me Your Story. Uh, but it sounded too much like a game show. And so I decided to drop that, but it was still kind of fun. First of the three questions is who is Chuck Champlin? 
an author and a scientist fan, husband to Leslie Champlin, and uh, father or son of my father, Charles D. Champlin, who was a writer and wrote a couple of books called Back There Where the Past Was and was a film critic for the Los Angeles Times. So I'm Charles Davenport Champlin, Jr., the fourth. Oh, wonderful. And I did not know that, folks. Learn something new every day. Second question. What gets you up and out of bed every morning? My alarm clock. <laughs> my wife saying coffee's on. <laughs> All right. And our final question. Uh, this question comes from the movie City Slickers, where Mitch and his uh, th two buddies are on horseback. Uh, and um, Mitch asks the question of his two friends. I ask of you. What was your best day? Well, so far, this one, guys, has been very, very fun. But I think my best day was when I married my wonderful wife, Leslie. So that was, and we did it on uh, December 31st, 14 years ago. So we have just celebrated our 14th anniversary. And I do believe we were there to I witness it. We were there. You, you and Amrita were there, part yep. of the witnessing. So that was a wonderful moment at the Santa Santa Barbara Mission. Are you still in the hills above Santa Barbara? We are indeed. And uh, I remember that day. And it was a beautiful December 31st, too, by the way, folks. And you were very successful because we're still married and happily so. <laughs> <laughs> As am I. Well, Chuck, once again, thank you so much. Uh, this has been fantastic. And we will have you back to talk about the, the other book called Wand. Here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol, Jeanette, I am still listening. Dad, continue to be happy because I am. To my dear friend Smokey, I will see you on the other side. And to my dear friend Zorro, aho, aho. <laughs>